me on is that sometimes life is hard, right? Like sometimes life is just difficult. It's one thing or another. It, It just feels like once we are back on the right path, something comes along and something happens and life is just hard. You know, maybe it's Maybe it's something at work. Work is hard, and, and you're going to work every day, and, and things are just difficult, and, and you're struggling with your job. Maybe it's a relationship that you have. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend or, or somebody else in your life, and it's just, it feels like right now things are just hard. Things are difficult. Like you're trying to wade through everything that's happening, and, and life is just hard. You know, it is. Sometimes life is hard. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, my life is never hard, well, kudos, like congratulations. That's, that's great. But I think for most of us, we would say that a lot of times life is hard. And, and when I think about life being difficult sometimes, I, I think there's one person who just encapsulates what it means to have a, a hard life from time to time. There's this very wise guy. His name is Charlie Brown. And uh, Charlie Brown understands what it's like for life to be hard sometimes. I mean, Charlie Brown once said, sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? And then a voice says to me, this is going to take more than just one night. Poor Charlie Brown. He also said, I think I'm afraid to be happy because whenever I get too happy, something bad always happens. And sometimes life is hard, and, and sometimes we feel like Charlie Brown, don't we? Like we're just kicking through things, we're, we're making it, and then all of a sudden, life just pulls up the football, and we fly up in the air and land on our backs like that. Sometimes we feel like Charlie Brown, and hey, you know, the thing is this. We have an amazing, awesome, powerful, wonderful God, God of all God of all things, God of all creation, God of all heaven and all earth. And, and he's this amazing God. And, and you know, the thing is, sometimes life is hard for us and sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need help. We need to turn to God and we need to ask him for help. But yet we struggle with that because for a lot of us, we've grown up hearing that to ask for help is a sign of weakness. And so we just let our problems, the things of this world, grind at us and grind at us until there's nothing left and we've lost our joy and, and, and we just, we don't want to praise, we don't want to proclaim him and, and we don't turn to him for help. And if you're here this morning and you think, man, things are just hard, well, I think where we're going to be this morning in scripture gives us some lessons on, on how we should approach God when it comes to praising Him and, and asking Him for help. And so, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 40, Psalm 40, or you can uh, follow along on the Version app uh, under more on the bottom, click events, and uh, Cornerstone No Water will be there. You can follow along with us on there. And as you're turning to Psalm 40, or getting there on the Version app, we started a new series last week called Being Honest with God, and we're looking through the Psalms, and we're looking at this relationship that King David had with God. Like, he was able to be very vocal, very honest, very real with God. And and in Psalm 51, which we talked about last week, we see him come before God and just pour out 
these sins, pour out this thing that he had done with Bathsheba, this, this mistake he had made, and he lays it at the feet of God, and he appeals to the mercy of God, not to God's justice, but to his mercy, because he knows that God's love is unfailing. He knows that God's love never ends, and that he is compassionate on his people. And he just laid it at the feet of God, but not just repentance did he lay at the feet of God. No, he also seek God and ask for renewal. God, restore me. Make me new. Make me whole again. Make me, uh, create in me a new heart. Create in me a new joy like I had when I first experienced salvation. But then he didn't just ask for repentance. He didn't just ask for renewal. He responded by saying, I want to tell people what you've done for me. And so if Psalm 51 was a great example of what it means to lay these things at God's feet to confess, well, then this is a great, a great psalm to remind us that we have a God that we can go to in our times of need, that we can turn to for help. And so there's a couple lessons I think we can learn in Psalm 40. And so we're going to start in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10. And uh, we're going to start with the first three verses. And it says this in Psalm 40, 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You see, David starts here by telling us he's been in trouble. He's been in a tough spot, and he has. When you read through the Psalms, you see that over and over and over again, King David is in a bind often. He is uh, in a bind because of his sins. He's in a bind because of near-death experiences. He is in trouble, and here we start by seeing that he had been in trouble. He had been in a hard spot, and so he cried out to God. And he says that he waited patiently for the Lord. Man, that is such a hard word, isn't it? Patiently. To wait patiently for God. When we're in the middle of a storm, when we're in the middle of a, a tough situation, when life is hard and we're crying out and we're seeking God and we're told we have to be patient. That's a hard word sometimes, isn't it? To be patient. To be patient and waiting for the Lord, the way this phrase is actually constructed in the Hebrew, it uses the same root word twice. So what it's basically saying is here is, I waited, waited, or I waited to wait. That's how patient David is having to be. I have to wait to wait. I am waiting on waiting for God to come and answer my prayer. David is praying. He's crying out for help in this situation. And I think for a lot of us, sometimes when we're in the midst of a tough situation and, and life is hard and, and we're praying and we don't see God answer our prayers right away, our first response is just, I'm just going to stop praying. I've waited, I've waited, I've waited, I've waited, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've cried out, and I've cried out, and I've cried out, and God's not responding, and so I'm just done. I give up. I can't keep praying. I can't keep waiting. It's hard. I give up. But you see, we are called to keep praying and waiting patiently on the Lord. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story in verses 1 through 7. And it says this, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 
He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Lesson learned, persistence pays off. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjustice judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? You see, the story reminds us that even in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of waiting and we have to be patient, we are to keep praying. Don't give up praying. Don't stop praying just because it doesn't seem like God is listening. No, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it lays it out very simply for us. Pray continually. That's what we are to do. We are to pray continually. And there's a reason for this says he turned to me and he heard my cry you know i've told everybody before about the the website gotquestions.org great resource well one of the uh other ministries or part of that website they have is a website called bibleref.com and and they say this uh, talking about uh, psalm 40 verse 1 and i thought this was interesting it says the hebrew word nata implies something turning or bending. In a poetic image, God is leaning forward to hear David the way a person might do for a child who speaks quietly. The Lord heard David's urgent prayer. And so he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's crying out to God and he's praying to God and it says he turned to me and he heard my cry. God leans down to hear David's cry, to hear David's plea. You know, sometimes it's hard to be patient and it is sometimes hard to wait and it is hard to keep praying when we feel like God is just not answering our prayers, but we must be patient because we know that God is listening. God is hearing everything that we are sending up to him. So we, be, we need to be patient while we wait. And so David tells us here in verse 2, the reason why we need to be patient is because God will respond. In verse 2, it says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet on a rock, and He gave me a firm place to stand. Now, if you're a literal thinker, this is not a literal pit here that David is. He's not been stuck in a pit crying out for help, like, come, please lift me out of this. It's a, a metaphor here. He is in this pit that he is it's his mistakes it's his near-death experiences it's all these things that he has been going through with his enemies and he has now been in this dirty and nasty place in life life has been so difficult for him that it just feels nasty it feels difficult it just is a gross place for him to be in and and god has come and he's lifted him out of the slimy nasty pit and he put his feet on the rock a much better life than he was in, a better place that he was in before. And David was so thankful for this, he praised God because God put this song of praise in his mouth because of what has happened. David's only response is to praise God. His only response is to celebrate what God has done for him. His only response is to, to praise God for what he's done in his life. 
Man, I hope this resonates with you this morning. I do. I hope this verse, verse 2 and 3, resonates with you because the truth is, this is us. Verse 2 in Psalm 40, verse 2, this is us. We were once in a slimy, nasty pit. Our sins were just covering, or covering us in filth. We were in a horrible, horrible place. And yet God came and he rescued us out of this pit of sin, of death, of darkness, of despair, of these things that we were covered with. He came and he rescued us out of this. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10 tells us, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And because of this, he is worthy of our praise, he is worthy of our our proclamation, he is worthy of the words we sing to him, he is worthy of the words we speak about him, he is worthy. Then David continues in verses 4 through 5. He said, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Oh, if you've ever read through Scripture and, and thought about the words you read, I think if you read uh, through Scripture, you would find that life seems to be much better when we put our trust in the Lord, right? When we put our trust in God, when we put our faith in God, when we put our hope in God, life just seems to be better. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easier, but life is better compared to the alternative. It's better than you know, putting our faith and trust in the, the proud, the false idols of this world. No, it is best for us to put our faith, our trust in the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 37, 5-9 tells us this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. You see, it's just not wise for us to put our trust in the world. Rather, it is wise to put our trust in God and not to conform to the patterns of this world, not to conform to the things of this world. Romans 12.2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's the reason why it's not wise to put our faith in the world, because eventually those who put their faith in the world 
will face punishment. We'll face a, a tough road. Proverbs 5, 21 through 23 tells us, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. And so, our, our wise response would be to put our trust in the Lord. You know, uh, to put our faith in Him, to, put, uh, our, or to lean on Him, to ask Him for guidance. And so David is saying, well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you should put your trust, your faith, your hope in God. And he says, because many are the wonders you've done, the things you've planned for. Nothing can compare with you. If I were to speak of all your deeds, there would just be too many to declare. You have done too many good things for me to want to do otherwise. You've done too many amazing, awesome, powerful, wonderful things. Your deeds for us are just numerous. If I were to share of all the plans, all the things you've done, then I would never have enough time to declare them all. You see, David has seen how God has worked in his life over and over and over again. David has saved God over and over and over. David has forgiven, uh, or David has been forgiven by God over and over and over again. God has come through for King David. And he knows that there's no limits to the wonders and the plans that God has for his people. And if he could just speak of all of them, it would be too numerous. And, and we're, we're told not to follow the ways of this world. We're turned to put our, or told to put our uh, faith, our hope, our trust in him. And look at the God we serve. Look at the God we serve. Look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the Holy Spirit. Miracles on top of miracles on top of miracles over and over and over again. Things that are worth praising God for. Seas parted, people protected, water turned to wine, thousands fed with very little, dead raised to life, thousands coming to Jesus all at once. Try to tell me that the idols of this world are better than God. You can't. And David knows that. David is saying, listen, there is nothing Nothing that the world can provide, nothing that the world can give me that is better than you. And sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, it's hard to remember this. But take time to reflect on and think about the fact that we serve a God who is a miracle worker, a, a Savior who died on the cross for us, a Holy Spirit that leads and guides us to the Father when we can't get there on our own. And then he says this in verses 6 through 8. David said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. We talked about this a little bit last week in Psalm 51 when David says it's not the physical offerings that you desire. No, the thing that you really desire is a heart focused on you. And so David says that God has opened his ears. Now David can hear what God is telling him to do and actually obey. And when was the last time we asked that God would open our ears? Too often our ears are shut. God's, we're, we're sitting here, God, respond, respond, tell me what to do. Open my heart, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, but our ears are closed. 
he opens David's ears so that David could hear his commands, hear his will, and do them. And David says, I have come. I desire to do your will. David responds to verse 6 by saying, I've committed to doing what your word has called me to do. I have a desire to do your will, and I will keep your word in my heart. You see, these same verses are actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, and they're talking about Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus' willingness to follow the will of the Father. You see, once God has pulled us out of the rut we are in, we have an obligation not to just praise God, but to also follow his will in our lives. And so King David is saying, you have pulled me out of the pit. You have set me on the rock. I will praise you. I will put my trust in you, but I will also serve you. I will do what it is you have called me to do. We are called to follow the will that God has our lives. And then he says this in verses 9 through 10, and these are something that we're all supposed to do. It says, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. I love these words from David because David was in a pit. He was in despair. He cried out to God. God rescued him. God put his feet on the rock. He praised God. He put his trust in God. And so what does he do now? He makes God known. He makes God known because of what God has done in his life. He can't help but proclaim. He can't help but praise, and he can't help but tell people what God is doing in the lives of people. He can't help but share the forgiveness that he has received. And you see, God has done amazing things in our lives. And if I were to ask you to share your stories this morning, have each one of you come up and share your story, I think our stories would be varied, but here's the thing, we would, we would have a lot of amazing stories up here. A lot of great stories shared about how God has transformed your marriages, how God has transformed your work life, how God has transformed your family, how God has transformed your personal life. And I know some of you here this morning have amazing testimonies, stories, things that God has done in your life. But you see, even if all of our stories in this room varied to different degrees, here's the thing, they all have the one common thread. The one common thing in all of our stories is this. By sending a son into this world to die on the cross, we've been saved. Each and every one of us all come back to the cross. All of our stories are the same. And so we have the responsibility because of what Jesus has done for us to make our stories known. Why do you keep your story to yourself? It's yours to share. It's yours to tell people about what God has done in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you know, I know the scriptures are filled with amazing testimonies, story after story after story of amazing testimonies. But man, when I think of testimonies, I always go back to Paul. I always go back to Paul. I think it's, I'm a little bit biased. But his story is amazing. And I love what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
I love that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power that God, or it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Too many of us are ashamed of the gospel. Too many of us are ashamed of the story that God has worked in our life. Too many of us are ashamed of what he has done in our lives when we should proclaim what it is he's done in our life. When we should want people to know what it is he's done in our lives. We're too quick to be ashamed. Man, I just don't want to share. I don't want to tell people what God has done in my life. But we have an obligation to share that story, to share what God has done for us. And you see, I think these first ten verses are so important to the rest of this psalm because this, these first ten verses teach us an important lesson. We have a reason to praise and proclaim our Father. And you may be here this morning and you are thinking, man, life is just hard and I feel overwhelmed and I feel like I, I know what I should be doing. I just don't have it in me because I just don't feel like I have the reason to praise. And yet you see, his reasons, the reasons we have to praise him are numerous. The reasons we have to praise him are so many. If we could declare all the things that God has done in our life, there would never be enough time. He's worked in our lives so many times, and I think sometimes we just forget it because of the difficulties of life, and we forget how God has done this and that in our lives, and how when we prayed and we prayed, God brought us out of a tough situation. God brought us out of difficulty. We forget that sometimes, but you see, here's the truth. If he gave us all of these reasons and we looked at each and every one of those reasons is not good enough to praise him. At least we have one solid reason that is worth all of the praise that God deserves. And it's this. In 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Man, all of the reasons we have to praise him, to proclaim him. He has saved our lives. He has brought us redemption. He has brought us forgiveness. He has brought us every single reason to praise him. And this is very important because what he does next in verses 11 through 17 will make more sense when you read these first 10 verses. And so we're going to go into verses 11 through 13, and it says this. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. You see, David shifts from thankfulness, from what God has done for him in the past, now to ask for help in the, in the presence. And he starts by asking, don't withhold your mercy from me. May your love and your faithfulness always protect me. We talked about it in Psalm 51 when we talked about the mercy of God in which David was appealing. Again, here he mentions the mercy of God, asking that he would not remove it from him. And he asked that God's love and faithfulness would always protect him. You see, here's the truth. Storms of life don't go away because we put our faith in him. Sometimes we have that mindset that I'm going to give my life to Jesus and everything is going to be peachy and nothing's ever going to happen and life is never going to pull the football up and we're never going to fall on our back. That's not the truth. The truth is sometimes storms are going to come into our lives 
but we can rest assured knowing that these storms will not keep God from loving us. Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may fall and we may be going through difficult times and we may be struggling, but God's love does not end. God's faithfulness does not end. It is always present in our lives. And then David tells us the root cause of his problems, sin. Sin. The sin in David's life has caused the problems he has. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fells within me. The reason David is in despair, the reason David is asking for help in these verses is because of his sin. His sin has become so numerous, it's more than the hair on his head. For me, that's not, never mind, never mind, that's a joke. <laughs> but it's more than the hairs on the head, and his heart fills within him. And he's being beaten down by the sins that he's committed. And I'm going to say something that you probably don't want to admit this morning. You see, not all the problems of life are going to be your fault, my fault. But you see, a lot of the problems that we face in this life are because of our sin because of the things that we do, because of the mistakes that we make. You know, we mentioned last week confession is important, and David understands the problems his sin and his sin alone has caused. And we don't want to think about this too, but it's time to admit this as well. Our sins have consequences. The mistakes we make, the sins we commit, the things we do, there's consequences to those things. And sometimes our life problems aren't going to be caused by our mistakes. They may be caused by the the mistakes of others. But sometimes the problems we face in this world are because of the sins that we have committed. Our sins have consequences. But then listen to what David does here in verse 13. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. David asks for God to come and save him out of the mistakes he's made. David realizes that he cannot survive on his own. He needs God's help. Man, and we are in the same boat. We cannot get out of our sins on our own. We cannot get out of our mistakes on our own. We need help. We need help. We can't do it on our own. If you think you can, if you think that you can uh, just sin and sin and sin and then you can just get yourself out of your own problems, that's prideful. And Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. David realizes he can't do things on his own. He can't save himself. He needs help. And so he asks God, please, please come and help me. And then in verses 14 through 16, he says, May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. David asked for protection from his enemies that God would step in and turn away those who are trying to take him down or hoping to see him brought down. And you know, David does something that's actually really amazing here. This is really, really amazing what David asked for. You see, David 
was skilled in military combat. I mean, David knew how to fight. David could go and probably just take out his enemies, right? Like, I, I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need you to help me. I'll, I'll just seek revenge on my own. But no, what he does is he says, God, you take care of this. You take care of this, God. You are in control. You are powerful. You are in charge. You take care of this. And sometimes that's like us, to want to see those who mock us or ridicule us or the people that we have issues with. We want to see wrath or revenge or whatever taken on them. Instead, we should leave those problems up to God. Romans 12, 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, instead, the answer is to seek God, and in Him we have our reason to rejoice in His saving help. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. And then in verse 17, he wraps this up by saying, But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. He asked the Lord to come quickly. He has put his faith and his trust in God, knowing that God and God alone is the only one who can save him. He can't save himself. Nobody else can save him except for God, and he puts his faith in God. You are my God. You are my help, my deliverer, my God. And, and this is why these first 10 verses are so important, right? Like we have reasons to proclaim and praise God. That's what the first 10 verses tell us. Why are these first 10 verses important? Well, David makes these first 10 verses important because what he is essentially saying here is because of all the reasons I have to praise you, of all the reasons I have to proclaim you, this gives me the ability to go to you and ask for help. And it is the same thing for us because what God has done for us, because what God has done in our lives, all the times he has helped us, all the times he has rescued us, all the times he has saved us, all the reasons we have to praise him gives us reason to seek God's help. To seek God's help. And here's one more thing that we've just got to bring up that we may not want to hear, but it's the truth. We can seek God's help, but that doesn't mean we're always going to get the answer we think we need. We may not get the answer we want to hear. We may not get the answer that we feel we are seeking. But it doesn't mean he's not answering us. You see, he could remove your issue right away. You could be praying, and just all of a sudden, that issue you had, that struggle you had, that, that problem you were facing, it's gone. God's fixed it. He's, he's taken what was broken and he's put it back together. That might be the answer you get. Or maybe his answer is not to take away the problem, but to give you the grace you need to bear the problem. Listen to Paul one more time in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I know what it is to have to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And you see, too often we take verse 13 and we just take it completely out of context. That like just, 
oh, I, as long as I pray, God, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. And, and that's not what he's talking about here. What Paul's talking about here is this idea of learning to be content in whatever situation he is in because he has been given grace that in the good times, he can turn to God. In the bad times, he can turn to God because he knows that no matter what the situation is, no matter what happens, no matter how God answers, he knows that God is answering according to his plan, according to his will. And in either case, what we know is that he is there and his love is unfailing. We have a God who longs for us to bring to him our problems, our concerns, our needs. And he, he allows us to come to him and lay those things at his feet. We have so many reasons this morning to proclaim him. We have so many reasons this morning to praise him. And all of these things give us the confidence, give us the strength, give us the, the, the knowledge that we can appear before God and we can ask him for help. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, man, God has done some amazing things in your life, in our lives. Man, again, if I were to ask you, tell me one thing that God has done in your life. You could probably name several things that God has done in your life. And I don't know what each and every one of you are going through this morning. You may be here this morning and you are going through a storm and you feel like there is no reason to praise, there is no reason to sing, there is no reason to thank. You may be thinking life is just too difficult right now. And if that's the case, I want you to think about the fact this morning that we have a God that you can come before and ask for help. And so maybe you're here this morning and what you need to do is you need to lay things at the feet of God. And that's what I want us to do this morning. They're getting ready to sing and when they do, you don't have to stand up, you don't have to, if you want to just sit in your chair, maybe you have something this morning that you need to lay at the feet of God. Maybe you are going through a storm and you just need to spend time in prayer. You can do that where you're sitting. If you want to come up here and pray, I'd love to pray with you. There's elders here who would love to pray with you. Man, I would encourage you this week to think about this. You have reasons to praise. You have a reason to proclaim him. He has done so many things. Read scripture cover to cover and you see God is a God of power, miracles, miraculous things done, protection, all these different things that God has done for his people. You have reason to praise. And you have a reason to tell people what he has done in your life. Share your story. Stop being ashamed of the gospel. If God has done something in your life, tell people about it. And so this morning, as we sing, if you have something you need to lay at the feet of God, I pray that you would do so. Again, if you need to come up here and pray, I'd love to pray with you. So as we stand and we sing this morning, let's remember we have reason to praise.